may find it on the back side of your message notes or beginning on page 860 in your worship Bible. Please stand, if you can, for the reading of God's Word. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of God. For the last almost two years of time, we've been making a long two-year trek through the whole Bible. I don't know. Most of you probably never had that done in the church you went to. We just started in Genesis in about February a year ago, and we're going to end up in Revelation about February in a, you know, in a couple more weeks. It's been a great, great journey, and a lot of you have been reading the Bible along with us, and I'd invite, invite you to even jump in right where we are, because today's reading is out of Hebrews chapter 2, and that book, Mark, would keep you up to date on all that. You can follow through the rest, and then maybe pick it up again next, uh, next year. It's been a great, great journey, and now Now we come to this book called Hebrews. It's a very unique book in the Bible, somewhat different. Most of the New Testament books are identified by author, but the book of Hebrews does not identify itself at all. We don't know who wrote this book. Some have speculated, but the truth is we don't even know. And we don't even know really to whom it was written, Uh, what specific group of people that it was written to. We know that they had a Jewish connection. They were thinking about dropping back into, into Judaism. That was one of the things that led him to write this book. We just don't know much about this book, but it is a rich book. A very, uh, in fact, it is probably, the, along with the Luke's writings, it's the most well-written from a Greek standpoint in the original language. The, it's a very educated author. When you're reading out of the original language, you find that this is a very educated book, it's very, whereas John's writings are very simple in the Greek language. These are much more complex. The constructions of the sentence are much more. It's a very complicated book, uh, and yet it's following a very straightforward path, and he's basically trying to show us that the gospel of Jesus is better than anything else They've always been uh, 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 been tempted to go back into. And so I had Bud read for you this opening salvo of this book, which speaks about the supremacy of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And in this book, we see, he begins to show us something what he's going to tell us in the, in the whole book altogether. It's a great book that uh, uh, helps us to affirm our faith in Jesus again. So what I want to take you to in this in this. Ch- in this section, and even in a little bit of chapter two, since that's part of our reading, uh, part of our reading today, I want to help you to see that the author wants us to see the authority of God's word, the authority of God's son, and the responsibility of God's people. The authority of God's word, the authority of God's son, the ultimate authority of God's son, and the responsibility of God's people. So let's talk, first of all, as he shows us in this text, about the authority of God's Word. Look at the first little bit of this. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. The authority of God's word. He speaks about those old prophetic words. He's talking about the whole Old Testament. Often the, the whole Bible is spoken of as, a, as prophet. Moses was considered a prophet. It's the writing of Moses, the prophets. He would have also included the Psalms because he quotes the Psalms many times. These New Testament people really looked at the Old Testament scriptures as part of the inspired word of God. That's why it's been, I think, a real blessing for us to take our time to work through this whole text of the Scripture because it's all part of God's Word. We don't just pick out the cherry-picking little interesting idea that comes up, comes up in the letter of Paul or something and not see how it's connected to the whole grand epic story of God's beautiful creation broken by human rebellion and rescued by God's grace ultimately through the person of Jesus until one day it will be renewed when Jesus returns. We're part of that new creation people. When, when resurrection happened on Easter morning, resur- new creation began to happen in this world and we, in response to the, um, uh, to the gospel and as the Spirit makes his residence inside of us, he makes us new People, if anyone is in Christ, he is new creation. All things are passed away. All things are become new. He talks about God having spoken in the past by the prophets. This idea of God's speaking word is a very powerful theme in the scriptures. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was out form and void and darkness covered the face of the deep. And the spirit of God brooded over the face of the water. And God, what? Said, let there be light. And God said, the universe was created by the word of God. We're not told exactly how it happened. We are told who made it happen. That's the critical question. It's not the how that is so important to us, but the who, that God spoke and the universe came. We are here because of the, 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 the intention and love and creative work of God. The authority of God's word seen, first of all, in creation. But then we see that God spoke, it says also, through uh, his prophets. And I think in particular, when uh, Moses went up on the mountain after they left Egypt, and God spoke to him, and he gave to him what are called the ten words, the ten commandments, the ten words, this word of God. God saying, I've made you, and this world has been broken by human rebellion, but I want you to know how, how it is that life works best. Honor me, no one else. Don't worship another graven image. You know, uh, don't take my name in vain. Honor your honor, father and mother and all the other rest of the commandments that are there. Those are ways that make God, these come, God's word is meant to help us know how life is meant to be, meant to be lived. And so all of the Old Testament scriptures are considered to be the word of God. In fact, the 119th Psalm I referred to it last week is a Psalm which has 170 some verses and all of them, except for four, speak directly about God's word, his statutes, his commandments, his decrees, his laws, uh, his ways, all of those things, as many synonyms um, as he could find for God's word. He incorporated those in those because he believed that God's word brought new life and light. We as a church want us to understand that we all have to have some basis for authority. We might say, I believe this, I believe that. The question is, what is the basis for your belief? Do you believe that every human has a right to to live? Why do you believe that? What is the actual rational basis for that? You know, survival of the fittest is a pretty common thing in our world, right? But we tend to think that Even the unfit deserve to survive, right? We want to take care of those 
Why do we believe that? What is the basis for our belief? Ultimately, it's our basis for our belief is found in the Word of God, in the Scriptures of God. Now, you may not like having the Scriptures uh, be a basis for belief, but what is your basis for belief, and how do you justify it? Is, it just be, is something true just because you think it's true, because you want it to be true, because you'd like for it to be true? I would like for it to be true that I could jump off a building and fly. If I believed it hard enough, would it be true? No, because truth is something outside myself. Truth must be discovered somewhere. I don't make it up. Christians believe in the authority of God's Word. Any of you who have been in a marriage or in a relationship, you know that if you have a real relationship with a real person, sometimes you and that person disagree, right? Sometimes you don't see eye to eye. You know, if I have a relationship with my... Um, you know, uh, well, I won't get in. Uh, and uh, you can't have a relationship with an appliance. Let's say it that way. Without, you can't really have a you know, relationship requires interchange. And sometimes you have to negotiate and figure things out. And you have two opinions. Well, if you're going to have a relationship with God, you've got to understand that God is not going to see everything exactly like you. And that's probably good, right? In your better moments, you know that that's true, right? We have this beautiful word of God which has been preserved for 3,000 years from when the time or 4,000 when it first began to be written down, this revelation of God, and it tells us why this world is here, what went wrong with this world, and how it can be fixed. Those are three questions that every human being wants to have answered. Why is this here? What's gone wrong? How will it get fixed? And the fourth one, where is it all going? Those are some of the hardest questions in the world to answer, literally. I mean, just make them an answer, fine. But to really find a foundation for that, the Bible gives to me believable and fundamental answers to those questions as to why this world is here, what went wrong, how it gets fixed, and where it's all going. And only if I have those answers fixed as fixed points in my mind can I then navigate my life through all the myriad of problems that I run through. Does that make sense? Those fixed points, most people have no idea where their fixed points come from. That's why we have a culture now which says truth is what you make it to be. You know, we have a, we have a system that says, I don't want anybody telling me what, as long, I can do whatever I want as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else. Why? See? What's the reason for that? Belief. You see? The scriptures tell us why we're here. We're here because of God's love and God's desire to show forth his glory in this creation. We're here because God, who is a God of love, loves so much that he creates people to love in a world in which to place them. Love always wants to create, doesn't it? You've been married. You know, love wants to have children, right? Love wants to have children. That's why we're here. We're here because of the love of God. What went wrong? God in his love gave us freedom, and we rebelled against him, and so we kind of thought we could run this thing better on our own. I mean, we know that's true out there, but do you know it's true in here? right? That's what's gone wrong. How can we fix it? How does it get fixed? Well, we tend to kind of think we'll fix this thing, but we are part of the problem. <laughs> the sin is in our hearts too. And that only way it gets fixed is because of what God has done, that God first reached out to Abraham and then to his children and then to Moses and brought these people, called these people to himself. His purpose was to bring blessing to all the nations, to bring renewal to all the world through this people. Ultimately, that that, um, that um, 
choosing ended up on one of God's own choosing, his own son, Jesus Christ, the ultimate, final, faithful Israelite who died under the weight of the world's evil and rebellion but was not conquered by it and was raised up from the dead so that the creation project began in the Garden of Eden could continue throughout the ages until someday when Jesus comes and restores his creation. That's, that's what, and, and, and this is all a gift of God's grace. It's all because of God's grace. It's given to those who don't earn it or deserve it. Only, the only people grace is not given to is to people who don't want it. <laughs> and that, that's bottom line. It's given to anybody who wants it. But no pride people want grace, right? We want to get the old-fashioned way, earn it, right? No, God says, no, this is grace, grace. Put aside your pride, your pretension. Put it all aside. Let it go and receive my grace. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, right? Yeah, these are the ones that go home blessed. Not the people who say, God, I think you're not like all those bad guys. Let's put them in jail. Get them out of my sight, right? God says, that guy, I don't want to hear that guy's prayer. I only hear the prayer of the person who knows how much they need me. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Right? Yeah. And this world, even though it's decaying, it seems like someday God's going to remake this world, and he'll, he'll come and live on this world, and, and we, will live, we will have human, uh, we will have new bodies, incorruptible bodies, bodies like the body that Jesus had when he was raised up from the dead. You know, Jesus still has that body. It didn't go away when he left. It just went up into the heavens. And we'll have a body like that someday on the earth that God is making. That's why we're here, what went wrong, how God fixed it, and where it's going. And it's found in the Scriptures. And when I get that story right, I can accept the other stories where God tells me not to do things I kind of want to do. <laughs> and, and to do things maybe I really don't want to do. I kind of trust that God who made this world and spoke this world in existence and preserved the Scriptures for me, I need to carefully understand it and apply it and, seek, and, and realize my weakness in understanding it, trusting God more than my ideas about God, trusting all of that is all a very difficult process, but this is how God works. God, the, the apostle, the writer of this text wants us to know about the authority of God's word. I wonder if you're willing to submit yourself to that authority, to respond to that authority. I know that the world has gotten very far, very far from how God designed the world to be. Are you willing to stand up and say, you know, I'm going to trust the revealed word of God to be my guide in my life, and I will respond in faith to him. So he wants us to see, first of all, the authority of God's word. Secondly, he wants us to see, even much more importantly, the authority of God's son, the authority of God's son. God, long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, the apostle is the writer of Hebrews is letting us know that God has spoken magnificently through his written text, through his written preachers, his oral preachers and his written text. He's communicating magnificently that way, but he's had one last final word, one last communication, and it wasn't something written down. It was a person. It was his son, Jesus Christ. It was this son. This was his last ultimate communication. He is called the final word of God. And so ultimately, we have to affirm not only the authority of God's word, but the reason we trust the authority of God's word today is because of the authority of God's son, who is the ultimate word of God. In the beginning, the Bible says, John 1 and verse 1 and verse 2 and verse 14, 
In the beginning was the Word. The Word is with God. Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was nothing made that is made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Later, verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and tabernacled among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the ultimate Word of God, and that is what the writer of Hebrews is wanting us to see, that God who spoke in the past through prophets and all these words as well has now spoken by His Son. But who is this Son? Now, these are some of the most magnificent words in all of the Scriptures about about Jesus. We just celebrated Jesus, the born, the, birth, uh, the born in a manger long ago. Epiphany was yesterday, that day, 12 days after Christmas, when historically the church has rem- been remembered the coming of the wise men, which is, uh, they're not actually called wise men, and there's not named three, but let's not, let's not get into that. They're called magi, and they were non-Jewish people. And this was the, uh, the, uh, the revelation of the Son of God, not just to the Jewish people as happened when Jesus was born that night in Bethlehem to the shepherds, but the revelation of the Son of God to non-Jewish peoples, these magi who came far from the east and traveled in and presented their gifts to him, and they worshiped him. So Epiphany talks about the manifestation, the appearing, the showing of the Son of God to, the, to all of the nations. Well, what kind of baby was this? Look what the uh, writer of Hebrews says. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the... Um, there's actually seven of these. I'm going to combine them with four or so different ideas. Who, there are seven things he says about the Son, he, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, that's the sixth one, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Seven things, profound things that are said about this little baby. Let me just summarize them briefly. Who is this Jesus? Who is the authority of God's? Who is the son who has authority over us? First of all, he is the heir and the owner of the universe. He's the heir, H-E-I-R, and owner of the universe. He says it is the heir of all things, uh, uh, and, it, uh, and, and uh, he is the heir of all things, um, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of God, the exact imprint of, nature, uh, of his nature, and upholds the universe by the word of his power. He is the heir and the owner of the universe. What does this mean? Well, Jesus is God's, I mean, he's refer- the phrase, well, I don't want to get sidetracked, but he's called the firstborn. That doesn't mean he was uh, birthed out of God, but he's in the first place among all of God's creation, okay? Firstborn. And so as the firstborn, he has the heir to all of the father's estate. And so his re- reason for coming was to reclaim his inheritance, to give his life for us. We are his inheritance, and he will live. He, this is his world. He is the heir of all things. He's heir and the owner of the universe. This world doesn't belong to just to nature, to others, or to ourselves. It belongs to God, to Jesus himself. He is the heir of, the, of all things. He's the heir and owner of the universe. This world belongs to him. Number two, he, he is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He is the creator 
and sustainer of the universe. So it says, through whom he created the world. He created the world. John 1, 1 and 2. Uh, in, uh, uh, in, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. All things were made by him, or without him was nothing made that was made. Jesus was part of the creative aspect of this universe. He he, if he's the word of God, God spoke it into a being. He is, the, he is the creator, but it also says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the universe. That doesn't mean he's like Atlas sitting underneath holding it up. That's not what it means, right? It means that Jesus is the life force, the life that exists in the Father and the Son, the love together. That life force is something which holds this whole universe together. This is not anti-science at all. It doesn't say it comes in outside, but that God is working through this universe, and he's making it all happen. And he is the one who sustains this whole universe. That's Jesus. Yeah. We also see about this son. Excuse me. <coughs> that he has, number three, the exact imprint of God's nature. I love the way that ESV translates this. The exact imprint of his nature. That means the exact imprint of God was on Jesus. This is affirming that Jesus wasn't just human, but he was God made human. He was God living in us. When it said the exact imprint, it's a word, actually words, the word character, and it was used when they would make coins, and they would make coins of of uh, um, you know, with the emperor's image on it or whatever, and you'd you'd create this character up that you know, uh, and you'd 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 press it down and create an imprint of it, and the imprint would be exactly like the the stamp, right? The stamp. And what he's saying is that Jesus has the exact image of God. There could not be a more full statement about the deity of the man called Jesus. The exact imprint of God's nature. It also says that he has the radiance of God's glory. The radiance of God's, uh, God. he is the radiance of the glory of God. <laughs> what a beautiful thing this is. And ultimately, his radiance, his glory was expressed when he spread out his hands on a tree and gave his life for you and me. And then the fourth thing about this, he is the redeemer and ruler of the universe. He is the redeemer and the ruler of the universe. Going on, he says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The Redeemer is the first part, purification for sins. The ruler is the second part, sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. Jesus is the one who brought this universe back together, who rescued us, who, who gave his life for us, and then he went to the heavens when Jesus... And when Jesus, um, when Jesus completed the work that he has done, he was there among his disciples for 40, 50 days, right? Then he goes up, he ascends. It doesn't mean he just went off somewhere, somewhere in outer space. It means he ascended to his 
throne. It was ascension. And it says right in there, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down. He's the ruler. He's purchased this whole world. He's in the part of the process of restoring this world, which his resurrection began that day. Yes, Jesus is right now in charge of this world. This is Jesus, the one who we've come to worship, the heir and owner of the universe, the creator and sustainer of the universe. He has the exact imprint of God's nature on him. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is the redeemer and the ruler of the universe. This is the Jesus who we've come to worship. And the thing that's beautiful about this Jesus is that the way he lived on this earth is the way that we are to interpret God, that God loves the outcast. God loves the poor. God loves the sick. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, right? God is, uh, uh, God is willing to lay down his life even for his enemies. That's the what kind of God we serve. You want to know what God looks at like? Look at Jesus. He has the exact imprint of God. Yeah, that's the beauty of, the, of Jesus, yeah. How, uh, how he has worked to bring the, God, bring the world back together. It's as if a divorce had happened between heaven and earth when humanity rebelled, and we've been fighting against God. And finally, Jesus comes, lives in humanity. He dies the death of humanity's death. He dies under the weight of humanity's evil. His purpose is to bring us all back together again. And he, so that's why he says he made purification for our sins, and he's done that. And now he's made us part of that mission to be messages and messengers of his, his redemptive work. That's what this world is all about. Yeah. But it doesn't close just with talking about the authority of God's word and the authority of God's son. It also talks about the responsibility of God's people. And all the way throughout this book of Hebrews, about five different times, the writer of Hebrews pauses from his sermon and he gives a challenge to the people who are listening to him. He's saying, now in light of this, pay attention. Don't drift. Don't despair. Don't give up. Pay attention. Because the writer of Hebrews was writing to people who were having themselves a hard time living in a world which did not honor Jesus the way that they did. It was a very pluralistic society. They didn't affirm their beliefs at all. They felt sometimes like it was very difficult. They were in danger of giving up. And the apostle who wrote this letter, the writer of this letter, is all the way through saying, now because of who Jesus is, don't give up. So look at chapter 2 just a little bit there. You saw it on the back of your notes. Therefore, he says, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression and disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and attested to us by those who heard. And God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which he distributed according to his will. He's saying to these people, he's saying, don't you see God will get done what God wants to get done. Don't neglect it. Don't think that you're just going to skip out on it. Don't think you're just going to vote out and have not have consequences. That No, you need to respond. He says, pay careful attention. Pay close attention. Well, that's one reason why we gather on Sundays or in perhaps in small groups. We want to pay close attention to this book. We want to pay careful attention to it. We want to keep our eyes on that prize. Yeah. 
and uh, pay, pay careful attention. And he says, don't drift. Don't drift away from it. It's possible to, to have sort of a vision drift that happens. You come here and you think, oh, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. Lord, and I love you. I follow you. I want to be your man, your woman. And you go right out there, and no one else is playing that tune. And it's easier for you to kind of drift, 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 drift. And don't drift. That's why we need daily times of reading the scriptures. That's also why we need weekly times of worship, corporate worship. And he says, don't neglect. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The reality is that Jesus has done everything necessary for us to be in right relationship with him. But the same God who gave us the freedom to reject him back in the Garden of Eden also gives us the freedom and the responsibility to accept him right here in Cave Creek. In our lives. Don't neglect. Don't drift. Don't get your attention somewhere else. Respond in faith to this Jesus because he is the one who gives the ultimate answers to your life's greatest questions. Why am I, not just why is the world here, but why am I here? I'm here because of God's love. What's wrong with not just the world, but with me? <laughs> I've, I've pushed God out. How do I fix it? I can't. Jesus fixed it for me. Yeah. yeah. What's God going to do? By his grace, he's going to remake me, and make me a brand new creation. Get those things right. All the other pieces of your life will find their place someday, if not in this life, in the next as well. So I want to say to you with the writer of Hebrews, pay close attention to what you've just heard today. Don't drift from it. Don't neglect it. Jesus will accomplish what he wants to accomplish, but he gives to you the opportunity, the responsibility to respond in faith. Do that. I encourage you, if you've not responded in faith to Jesus, do that today. Let it go. Let it go of your pride. Just say, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. So, Jesus is even more eager to answer that question than you are to ask. Let's have prayer as we close. Lord Jesus, I'm grateful and thankful that you made this world and you are remaking this world. And you want to bring salvation, wholeness, healing, new peace and purpose to our lives. Help us not to neglect or to drift from this great story, the best story. It makes sense of all the little stories of my life, the messy stories, even the good stories. They all fit somewhere in that great puzzle piece, puzzle that you're building through my life and all the rest of this world. Thank you that you spoke in the latter days by the prophets. Thank you that you have spoken in this last day by Jesus, your son, the creator and sustainer the heir, and the ruler, the purifier, and the judge. We respond in faith to that. Thank you for the Lord's table, which helps us be reminded the greatest expression of God is when Jesus was broken for us. We respond in faith to that brokenness by inviting him to be the ruler and master of our lives.
Feliz Dia da Imagem.